This gun sure looks deadly, but it's not the least bit deadly unless I point it at someone and pull the trigger. Gentlemen, this is Democracy Manifest. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to Repeal the 20th Century. With me, I have Jared. Jared, would you like to introduce yourself? Sure. Uh, I'm Jared. I, I'm the founder of Hopping.org, um, uh, basically an online publishing place where we Publish a lot of dissident information about liberty, tradition, and culture. Um, all dedicated to the uh, the ideas of Hans Hermann Hoppe. Um, I've been in the libertarian space for God, what has it been now? Fifteen years, very long time. Uh, I don't really even call myself a libertarian anymore, even though I still kind of um, am uh, partial to the label only because of what it has classically represented, not necessarily what it currently represents in uh, most people's minds, but in, at least in the, the the traditional or paleo aspect, I definitely subscribe to a lot of those ideas, and a lot of the people that uh, helped, uh, I guess, create the genesis of them, so that's pretty much me. Yeah, and I've been wanting to have you on for a while. I'm glad I could finally get you on, um, that I could pin you down, because I think, um, you know, I may not, I don't tend to use the label Hoppian for myself, but I will say, like, Hoppe is probably my greatest influence intellectually, um, and has been for a long time. I don't think I would be, I, I mean, I wouldn't be in the Misesian circle. I wouldn't, you know, have been published with Mises, met all the people I have met, if it was not for Hoppe, and, um, you know, started with the text everyone starts with, which is Democracy, the God that Failed. But um, I think recently, and in, in even before that, uh, but especially recently with, uh, I guess you could call it the post-libertarian moment, you've been seeing a lot of people uh, call themselves Hoppians, who I wouldn't say would fit under my definition of Hoppian, and I don't think yours either, but I would like to clarify that definition and what your definition of a Hoppian is. So, I, I don't know if Hoppe would uh, subscribe to this definition. I wouldn't. I would hate to try and speak for him, but what? since I run Hoppian.org, I, I think I can speak to it a little bit. I would say definitely you are, uh, if you're a Hoppian, you're the antithesis of what Rothbard called the modal libertarian. Um, we are uh, not the atomistic, hyper-individualized vision of a lot of left libertarians. We're very much community and culture focused. Um, that obviously doesn't mean that that is uh, 
preeminent. It's not the most important thing. Private property is still the king when it comes to that. Um, I would definitely say that, uh, at least from my perspective, in order to be uh, a hoppy and you have to be right wing, especially in regards to how I define right and left, um, I definitely would say that uh, you need to have a firm understanding of argumentation ethics. Um, and once you understand argumentation ethics, you would obviously need to subscribe to that idea um, <clears throat> that uh, argumentation ethics has basically supplanted the need for natural rights theory. And um, yeah, I, I mean, I think that that's really the core of it. There's a lot more that Hoppe brings to the table in, in terms of integrating time preference and things like that. But I don't think you necessarily have to understand or even believe those ideas right off the bat to call yourself a Hoppian. I think if you're, I think if you're on the right, you believe in private property, you've read and understand argumentation ethics. I think you can pretty much make a case that you're a Hoppian. Now that being said, I don't think that uh, once you learn a lot of Hoppe's ideas, if if you disagree with a lot of them, then obviously I think you should. Uh, disassociate yourself from the term, but I really don't. <laughs> that's kind of an odd thing for me to say because I think once you read and understand Hoppe, it's kind of uh, it's almost impossible to say you don't understand or believe those ideas because they're they're just de facto true. I mean, a lot of the way that Hoppe writes is very much from the perspective of look, here's history. This is the way things were. This is how it applies to current time. Also, here's everything else that has led up to this point and and why we have gotten to this point. So, uh, you know, if you really understand Hoppe, it, a lot of his conclusions are just uh, obvious once you understand them, in my opinion, anyway. Yeah, I think I totally agree because I think Hoppe is ultimately correct and just, you know, it's true, his ideas. And I can't really think of someone who, you know, disagrees with Hoppe, fully understanding Hoppe and, and reading what he has to say. Um, and, you know, I think a lot of people, when they read Hoppe, they try to you know, contort it to their own thing, um, but, yeah, I, th I, I really do think Hoppe is correct, oh, yeah, and when you totally fully agree. understand him, that you I come would, to the correct I would position. say is, you know, under, if you really want to understand Hoppe, like, I, I have stopped actually recommending Democracy, the guy that failed for a lot of people, I, I, especially if you're quote-unquote a libertarian and you want to understand Hoppe, or if you're on the right and you want to understand Hoppe, which is most of the people that we're appealing to, I think the easiest text to get into is getting libertarianism right. And um, in my opinion, that title is very much a double entendre in that um, Hoppe makes a very clear-cut case, in my opinion, that uh, this is not only right in the sense of correct libertarianism. Somebody said this to me on the timeline. I thought it was brilliant um, that getting libertarianism right, as in correct, as well as getting libertarianism right or moving it toward the right um, where it naturally should sit. I mean, uh, Rothbard called libertarianism right wing. He said, you know, once he had had that um, awakening after he had dealt with the left for so long, that, you know, libertarians should now consider themselves part of the right. He said that explicitly, he said it multiple times. And as time went on, he kept saying it and his strategies and his 
uh, perspectives continued to exude and integrate those right wing beliefs. I mean, Sam Francis was one of the people that Rothbard recommended all the time toward, towards uh, the the later half of the 90s and the early 90s as well. I mean, like in the 80s, I think, is when he started recommending Francis. So, I mean, if uh, <laughs> and, you know, nobody ever wants to talk about uh, that, that one article that Rothbard wrote about race, but that one's an obvious pointer right there um, that that you have to take into account. Um, you know, the, there's a lot of people out there that and I've addressed this before on other podcasts and uh, even on Twitter and what have you, but there's a lot of people out there who read the very base level information and either say, I hate this or I love this and this is what I am, and they don't bother to read past that. And if you read past the base level, both of those people are wrong in different ways. You're wrong for hating it because of what, you know, these blog posters are saying libertarianism is, and you're wrong for loving it for the same reason. Because most of the people that you're reading, probably at that level, are stupid. I mean, I mean, I'm just being as honest as I can. That they're not very well read people themselves, and they turn around and they think, okay, well now I can write on this, and I'll express my opinions in this vein because it uh, maybe uh, in some way or sense I can make it flow with the quote-unquote non-aggression principle or something, and therefore that's what libertarianism is. But that's not what libertarianism is. I mean, at its core root. In my opinion, what libertarianism is about private property. It's got to be about private property. Everything stems from private property. And you can go back from there and you say, okay, well, self-ownership, you know, that's where private property comes from and blah, blah, blah. And then argumentation ethics is how we can integrate and get to that method of self-ownership and that's private property. You know, we can go on and on about that for hours. But really, the, the core and easiest thing to understand is private property. And I've seen a lot of people a lot of people that I call Lobers who will throw private property out the window at its earliest convenience because they just don't like that idea. They don't like the idea of uh, either self-responsibility or ownership of things that they don't think people should own. They have some kind of egalitarian belief in, uh, in property ownership. Uh, Georgists come to mind, uh, libertarian quote-unquote socialists, or even just general left-wing libertarians. In my opinion, those people do not belong anywhere near us. They are totally disparate. They are totally different faction. And really, I, I hate, I'm not a reactionary. I make that case in the in the chapter that I just released. But Hopian.org, the website itself, was very much a reactionary moment. Um, the creation of, that, the, of the website was explicitly reactionary because of all of the Lobert, what we call, now call Lobert's, uh, that had permeated the space. Um, these subversives that have uh, that had seemed to have taken over completely, um, that had thrown uh, what they would call late Rothbard away, that they threw Hoppe away, they threw um, the entire concept of paleo-libertarianism away. Um, and, and that's really the pure genesis of the website was that I was sick of seeing that and because I knew because I had bothered to read what these people had wrote that uh, that what they were espousing was not what libertarianism was. 
Um, and, and I was just sick of it. And I knew I knew other people online who were sick of it. And that's where the idea really came from, is to say, okay, well, you know, if all of these big-name websites like Fee and, um, you know, like uh, Cato obviously is awful and Reason and things like this, they're all going to put out this left-wing narrative. Well, then we'll just write in a corner and maybe we'll draw some people to us and try and educate them about what libertarianism really is. Um, might be a futile effort, but at least someone will read it. And mm -hmm. we've done fairly well. I mean, we we were nothing to, to sneeze at. So, um, yeah, yeah. I I, I want to come back to the reactionary uh, part that you mentioned because I definitely want to pick your brain on that. But I wanted to go further because on this on Hoppianism because I think there is an urgence uh, like a I don't know how to describe it other than a feeling of many people who read Hoppe, specifically they read anything on from Democracy the God That Failed or comments he makes about monarchy and kind of take Hoppe in a very different direction, you know, they'll take it to, um, you know, a support for monarchies or reactionary movements or things like this. but. And I think we agree on this that that's the wrong direction. But we've been—I I, I think we've been seeing it a lot, not just recently, but much before. Any time we see a surge in, you know, interest in Hoppe, we see quite a, a, a substantial amount, I'll say, of people who I think misinterpret it, but in a way that they think is like positive towards Hoppe, like a positive disposition. And I kind of want to get your thoughts on, on why that is, um, if it's just a lack of well-readness or, you know, I mean, picking and choosing. I, I think that that's really what it is, is that people will see, this is a common thing in humanity. People will see things that are popular, they'll latch on to them, and then they hold on to them as the fact that they're 100% they're truth, right? And this is seen through uh, what uh, has been known colloquially as the, the telephone game, right? You hear one guy say something, and the more it gets down the line, the more it gets, you know, contorted and changed into what it really was, right? So I, I think that's where a lot of the monarchist stuff comes from. And, you know, it's not that the, the monarchy idea is the wrong direction. We're not moving toward more towards globalist ideas and understandings uh, and more centralization, the move toward a monarchy would probably be a better move, but it has to be toward the monarchy and understanding why, right? Not just moving to monarchy for, for the sake of monarchy. It has to be moving toward monarchy because you're looking at it as a reduction of centralization. You're looking at it as a more push towards the natural order. And many people don't. They think monarchy is the end in and of itself, and it's not. Um, what would I immediately say? Okay, well, you know, someone wants to be king of America. Would I support that? Probably not, um, because most people are stupid, and you know, uh, they're not going to have the ownership that a natural monarch would have, right? Natural monarchs are 
are bred. They they own their property. They're looking f toward the future. They're re they're um, reducing their time preference because they're wanting something to hand on to their future progeny. Any kind of king in America, it's it's too large of an area. I mean, you would ultimately have something that would be uh, kind of like the the UK or something like that. Not that where you have still have a parliament or a congress or something like that. And it's really almost just as bad. I mean, it may be a step in the right direction, but it's not much better. And Hoppe talks about this and from uh, aristocracy to monarchy to democracy. Um, and I, that's also included in Democracy of the God of the Hill, if you own that book. Um, but this is the degeneration, right? We're moving from kind of uh, this decentralized feudal era um, toward uh, a... Uh, kind of a more feudal monarch and then from there we're looking at absolute monarchy and then constitutional monarchy and then you know republicanism and then democracy right and that's where we're at now we're at the wrong end right so any step towards the other end is a good step in my opinion but you can't look at it as that's the goal right um so i think that's where some of that comes from uh, I mean, ultimately, I think you nailed it on the head. It's mostly because people don't bother to read past memes. Um, a lot of people have pushed the idea that memes are like, this is the thing, right? Like, this is what we need to be doing. We just need to be memeing the whole time, and that'll communicate the message. But really, that's a problem in and of itself. That says something. That says something is fundamentally wrong with our society. That people want these small, bite-sized pieces of information and then form their whole lives around them. Um, you can look at the uh, the the Q conundrum as that. Um, there were a lot of people that bought into that very hardcore. Um, I know that was more uh, like kind of Alex Jones for boomers, but um, that. That was uh, a microcosm of this this kind of uh, belief and this kind of uh, idea where you can um, you know bite size information and that's all you really need, but it's not. There's so much more to philosophy and understanding that you can't get from bite size pieces of information that you can't get from cliff notes. You have to read enough, in my opinion, to call yourself um, well read on a topic that you can. You can re-express the ideas in that format, right? So you want you want an understanding to the point where you're not repeating memes, that you can create memes based off of the information that you have to condense it to communicate it to others. But that communication to others isn't going to allow them to have the same understanding that you have. And this is where I think people get really tripped up is that they consume these memes and um, they, they think that's all there is to it. And... Um, I think that maybe there's a little bit of a problem there from from everybody else's side too in creating that bite-sized piece of information. We're kind of feeding the beast. We're kind of, um, uh, for the lack of a better term, democratizing information. Uh, whereas maybe we should take a little step back and, and think about that some more and maybe gatekeep that a little harder. Um, that's one thing I've always pushed, especially in our spaces, is We've got to we've got to have iron to sharpen iron, right? So we should be looking to exclude as many people as possible. And um, I, as you well know, there there are several people on, that we call out uh, as uh, as often as we can. You know, um, as long as I guess they're mo not moving in the right direction or they want to stay uh, bought into some some bad ideas, they're going to get called out, and I think they should get called out. But if they're just someone who got onto this idea, they 
they get the general ideas, they meet those general criteria, and they're moving in the right direction, those people are fine. They're trying to learn, right? But it's the people that don't want to learn that need to be excluded, and we libertarians especially need to get better at that because, oh boy, do we have a freaking problem with subversion. Mm-hmm. I, I want to dig into that a little bit because a lot of people talk about, you know, gatekeeping, exclusion, disassociation, whatever you want to call it in the terms of being an ideological movement. But I think very few people understand what that looks like practically. And I kind of wanted you to do your best in explaining what that looks like for people who aren't extremely aware of that. So are you talking about like... uh in a covenant community scenario where we're excluding people or are you talking about like uh, ideologically like we're calling people out and we're, we're excluding them from calling themselves you know certain things that we hold dear to ourselves is that wh- which side of that are you, I, are you looking for? I would say the ideological side of it while I think the covenant community aspect of it is is very interesting but I think you know that's the kind of thing where I say I would read Hoppe on that but when it comes to ideological movements, I don't think I've seen Hoppe talk about it much outside of getting libertarianism right, where I, I know he does mention it sometimes. Um, yeah, Rothbard actually wrote quite a bit about it just because he uh, had experienced mm-hmm. it so much. He um, he had seen it happen twice to him, um, three times if you're, if you're counting uh, really precisely. But uh, the two main ones were, I mean, Rothbard was a Republican. Uh, he was in the conservative movement. He saw the influx of neoconservatives, and he saw the subversion that was happening, and that's why he ultimately left. Um, and, and, you know, kind of thank God that he did. I mean, thank God for the neocons a little bit, because we wouldn't have gotten the Rothbard that we got without him. Um, maybe we would have gotten some other form of Rothbard, but we definitely wouldn't have gotten the depth, I think, that Rothbard really got into with that. But... There was that, and then there was the Libertarian Party also. The same thing happened there. That's why he left the Libertarian Party. He, there were too many subversives, too many egalitarians. And I, I think ultimately toward toward the later part of his life, he really began to understand that this was the tool of the left. This is what the left does. The left inv- invades spaces, they take them over, and they slowly convert them into things that they're not. And any, uh, I, I think... Uh, counter movement to that has to be very strict and exclusionary if it's not you're just opening yourselves up for the same type of uh same type of problems again um it's like uh i use the term plague blanket um if you've got a smallpox blanket a guy with a smallpox blanket you don't say well we'll take half your blanket um no you're gonna stay outside and we're not gonna let you in because anything you bring in is gonna be bad and it's gonna spread right so uh, I, I think this is kind of the, the problem, and, and I've said this before, this is, in my opinion, the problem with the Mises Caucus and the Libertarian Party, um, is that they're not exclusionary enough. Um, they came in and they took over, but there's still a lot of uh, leftist sentiment that's left. And I think ultimately um, they, they may have gotten rid of one part of the, and I've written a whole thread about this, but there are two parts to every party um, there is the radical element and there is the establishment. Uh, the Mises Caucus got rid of the establishment, but they did not get rid of the left-wing subversive radicals. 
Um, if you do not get rid of both, the subversive radicals will install new leadership as soon as you tire of defending. Um, this is why you cannot just be on defense. And I talk about this in my chapter. You have to go on offense. You have to be actively removing people, um, for lack of a better term, from, from your spaces. Um, ideologically, the way that we can do this is to continue to refine and define what we mean. Uh, when we say right wing, we have to have a definition of right wing that isn't an amorphous set of political positions. We have to have a concrete definition. And this is what I've done in, in my most recent chapter is set out to define that. What does right wing mean? And if we can't say that, we can't keep leftists out. When you talk to a leftist, you know what they're for. They're for egalitarianism. That's what they're for, straight up. There is no exception and no way around that. If you believe in any form of hierarchy, you're just, uh, you're, you're basically a, a pariah in any kind of left-wing circle. So, um, or, or you're a degenerated form of leftist. So what we have to do on the other side is embrace hierarchies, embrace order and things like this. And we have to actively go out, make sure we're defining and refining those definitions. And we have to call people out. We have to be willing to say, I'm not going to talk to you anymore. And I don't want to talk to anybody that is talking to you. Uh, I think that you are bad and therefore I want nothing to do with you. And if you don't have the bravery or courage to be able to do that, then you can never defend your ideas. You can, if you can't call somebody out for doing something wrong or saying something wrong, as Rothbard did hundreds and hundreds of times, there's so many articles out there where he was doing quote unquote infighting um, to try and exclude these people. And if we're not willing to do that, we can never hold on to anything. And I think that that's really where it's got to start. We got to be willing to say goodbye. We're not going to talk to you. You're wrong. And maybe, you know, go in, go in and be willing to describe why not do internet arguments, but write an article or something like that about why someone is wrong and be willing to completely disassociate from them. If you don't have the courage to do that, you're never going to be able to defend anything. Yeah, I, I I agree entirely, and um, you've mentioned it twice now, so I want to get into your chapter uh, on what it means to be right-wing, because I think that's a very interesting question that I don't think many people can answer very well. Um, so for those who have not read the chapter, uh, what does it mean to be right-wing? So... Uh that's the kind of the entire premise of the chapter, but it, essentially what it comes down to is, do you believe in equality or hierarchy? If you believe in hierarchy, you are on the right, but that's just the surface level. The next level to understanding is whether something is natural or artificial. A artificial uh, egality is all egality. Um, so all egalitarianism is artificial because if you look at human nature, we're, uh, we have an inequality between us before we're even born. Um, there is no such thing as a natural egalitarianism. I can't think of one aspect of nature um, fundamentally where we are all inherently equal. Um, and this is n not talking anything about the spiritual sense, just in the physical sense. We are never equal to one another. And that's not a bad thing. That's a good thing. It's a good thing that we don't have equality between us because if we did, there wouldn't be trade. 
there wouldn't be understanding. There wouldn't be uh, there wouldn't be culture. There wouldn't be uh, any of these things that make human human life worth living. There wouldn't be um, struggle. There wouldn't be um, the, this fight to continue to work to to understand one another and grow as human beings. Similarly. Um, artificial hierarchies are very much egalitarian in and of themselves. Every time that you try and create an artificial hierarchy, uh, such as what I, I mean, the number one example that comes to mind very easily is the state. The state is an artificial hierarchy. Um, you get degeneration. And the reason for that is because you're uh, what I describe in the chapter as uh, uh, basically human calculation problem. You can't uh, accurately distribute people in a hierarchy, uh, you can't have a single person deciding where that person needs to sit in a hierarchy because they may not, you may not be putting them in the right place. Um, and as such, you know, that there's gaps and there's people that are uh, maybe towards the bottom that should be towards the top and so on and so forth. And that artificial hierarchy is forcing them up or down depending on some arbitrary distinction. Um, Mises talked about that in, in regards to capital, but I'm talking about it in regards to human beings. And I think it very much equally applies. Um, you cannot determine where someone needs to sit in a hierarchy. So anytime that you try and do this, you're creating what is in effect uh, some form of egalitarianism. Whereas a natural hierarchy um, is natural, comes about as a result of uh, your communities and things like this, where people rise to the top based off of uh, the, their own ability and what they are and who they are. Maybe not just ability, but um, the the fundamental characteristics of what makes them human. Maybe some people are just better than others. I mean, I don't think anybody can deny that. I mean, I'm not Usain Bolt. I can't run as fast as him. I'm not uh, as smart as Hoppe. I'm not going to, may not ever be as intelligent as Hoppe. Um, and that's fine. And that's normal. That's great. I get to learn from other people, right? There, There is... Um, it, what has become a dirty word on the right, uh, diversity, should actually be our word. We love diversity. We want more diversity. We want more separation. We want more um, uh, disparation between people. We want more inequity because that's what makes human human life worth living. Uh, whereas the left wants uniculture. They want they want this. Uh, monolith of humanity where they can be reshaped and and brought uh, into uh, what I reference in the chapter is uh, basically the new Soviet man everyone's equal everyone's this everyone's that and you you find a fundamental breakdown that it just isn't possible you can't reshape a human being human beings are human beings and we should accept them for what they are so when it comes down to it what is the difference between right and left well, left is egalitarianism, and the right necessarily is a believes in natural hierarchy, not artificial hierarchy, which is egalitarianism. Yeah, I I agree with your definition completely, and in fact, I think this kind of realization of that 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 was the battle. I think was probably my one of my most formative. Uh, experiences and, and realizations when it came to my political journey to where I am now and I think it is for many people when they realize that they tend to everything else kind of falls into place all the dominoes fall exactly as they should um, when they come to that realization uh, but I think the you know most people don't come to that realization uh, at least they don't right now uh, yeah. hopefully that can change uh, with 
projects like the website the hoppy and 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 the show but I wanted to also get into because you brought up reactionary um, and why that label can be problematic and I kind of want to get your thoughts on that because I think most people just assume reactionary is actually at least in our circles and um, in the, the the greater right wing space of the ones who do actually recognize that the battle is hierarchy versus egalitarian. They're very quick to embrace this label, but it, it seems you have some skepticism and I would like to see why. Yeah, so... I- I think fundamentally, if we look at the, what the term reactionary means, is that we're, if we were to label ourselves as reactionary, we are a reaction to the left. And what does a reaction do? A reaction seeks to cancel out whatever is the, the catalyst, right? So we, we cannot fundamentally, conservatives are reactionary, right? Conservatives in the classical definition are reactionary because they are a reaction to the left. They are trying to conserve what the left is trying to take away, right? They're trying to hold on to something that someone else is trying to take from them. You cannot be a defender and continue to push towards the natural order. You cannot be a defender. If you were a defender, you were in a defensive position. We're not defending anything. We're going on the attack. We want to move things further to the right. We want to move things further towards natural hierarchies, towards the natural elite. So ultimately, um, my, my, I, I bristle very hard at being called a reactionary because I, I don't think reaction is enough. I, I think fundamentally we, we have to be, um, uh, to not sound too cringe, um, we, we have to be the warriors. We have to be willing to go out and conquer um, and not in a physical sense, but in an ideological sense. We have to be willing to take these things on. We have to be willing to fight back against the left. We have to be willing to take ground. And if we're not willing to do that, if we're not willing to push back in that right direction, then we're going to lose. We're going to constantly be pulled in their direction. And conservatives have proved this. I mean, it is observable what has happened. Uh, the, the, the cliche now is, you know, conservatives today are what the left was 10 years ago. And that will continue to be the case because conservatism is not enough. You cannot conserve what you are not willing to fight for. Um, and and as, a, as a result of that, I can't be a conservative either, right? Because it, it, a conservative is a reactionary. Reactionary is a conservative. I have to be something more. I have to be uh, someone who's willing to fight for those natural hierarchies. They're, the natural hierarchy is order itself. Um, without that, um, we will eventually descend into chaos, which, as I think most people on the right can see now, is happening. Slowly, we are devolving into that chaos. And there won't be any way out. Um, if you're not, I, I think if you're not willing to fight at this point um, to, to go the other direction, then you're, you're kind of just a useful idiot at this point. Yeah, I, I, I think you're correct in your, in your analysis because I think it's interesting that you characterize reactionary um, very similar to conservative because I, I don't think, you know... At least in this uh, <laughs> in this a- lifetime, most likely, I could ever conserve myself. You know, consider myself a conservative again, because I mean, what does it mean to be a conservative 
when you know the society that is to be conserved or really even the society decades ago is completely immoral and right. and, and i think completely contrary to what is good um but which is why I love the name of this show, right? I love the idea of repealing, and this is what Rothbard said as well, repeal the 20th century. We don't need to go to 20 years ago. We need to go to way further back, right? Mm-hmm. And we need to keep going because we're, we're, at, the, we're at the other end of the spectrum now. Um, there really is no, like, we could pull the brakes off entirely, uh, jam the accelerator down, and we wouldn't have to stop that car for a good long time. Um, to get back to where we need to go. So why would anybody stand in the way of moving towards the right at this point? I really mm-hmm. couldn't tell you. Yeah. Uh, where I think it's very interesting, though, too, is that you classify reactionary in that same vein, um, you know, as it is in the name re- reacting to things, um, which I think is, is inherently a defensive position. And I think the problem of the right has been you know, well into the beginning of the 20th century. Um, and I think even before that too, to some extent, the right wing has failed because it has only been a defensive entity for the most part. It is, it is rarely ever been on the offensive. And as Rothbard says, you know, go moving that clock backwards, breaking that clock. And, um, and, and I think it is interesting that you classify reactionary in, it, um, in that category because I think most people would say, you know, a conservative and a reactionary are not the same. You know, Charlie Kirk is not the same as, you know, someone like Curtis Yarvin or um, Nick Land or any any of these other people who take the reactionary stance. But... I, I think you're correct in some ways that they do end up being defensive in their reactionary tendencies. Um, Yeah, you know, and and nothing, I'm not going to take it. I I actually quite like Nick Land. I think he has some uh, brilliant ideas. And, and you know, I think if he were confronted with this idea that he would, I think ultimately he would agree with me. Um, And, you know, labels sometimes are not always the best, but I, I... like I said, if we don't have these definitions, if we're not willing to refine these ideas to this point, then they, they kind of become useless. They, they're easily subverted, right? So I, I think that in a lot of ways, um, we have to reevaluate not only um, who and what we are, but what our strategy is to move forward. And the strategy to move forward is very clearly to me to go on the offensive. We need to say, okay, um, you you want to uh, have red flag gun laws? Uh, we're going to repeal the National Firearms Act. Um, just as a very mediocre example, right? And I don't even can you know to a lot of people that would shock the hell out of people. Repeal the National Firearms Act? You know, make destructive devices legal, make full auto legal? Hell yeah, let's push that direction. Because what what what's it going to harm? What you know what what why are we not willing to take this fight? to their territory. Um, the um, I think a lot of times the people also get caught up in kind of this imagination land, and I think that's where a lot of ideology lives. So I like to kind of bring things back down to, to, to human beings and the real life level. I mean, look at, look at the stuff with, um, 
you know, where, where they were, uh, the FBI was investigating parents that were going to their school board meetings, right? Well, how about we turn around and uh, put all these people that are exposing children to drag shows in prison? Um, how about we, uh, you know, t take the fight back to them at the state level? And, and uh, some people are probably listening to this if they're libertarians and they're like, well, what the hell do you mean? You're going to use the state against people? Hell yeah, I'm going to use the state in self-defense. I'm not, I'm, not I'm not a pacifist. I'm definitely not a pacifist. I will defend myself, and if that means taking the fight back to people, I'm more than willing to do so. Um, the the idea that we have to be guardians of something that has long since died is insane. Um, we we need to uh, we need to train a new class of soldiers here, willing to to fight and push the other direction. Because if we don't. Um, we're so far towards the other end, we're all gonna die. I, I mean, that's that sounds a little do, like doomery, but um, uh, that's where it's gonna end. It's where it always ends. Um, uh, you can look to the Soviet Union. Uh, I'm sure that a lot of people in uh, 1917 didn't think that uh, where uh, where they were going was hell either, but that's where they ended up, and that's where we're gonna end up too. Is we're gonna end up in some form of Bolshevik hell if we're not already there. Yeah, I I think I agree with you entirely is that, you know, we need we need a major wrench in the cog of the machine uh or it's just going to keep barreling away until it it, it does something um no one really cares to see. Uh kind of a similar situation in the Soviet Union, uh, you know, as I had with my last episode Yuri Molstev, he was saying very similar things. And um, I think I think it's a completely correct analysis, and I think it's something that anybody who you know puts a modicum of I inspection upon the current society will say, "Yeah, this is kind of where we're heading right now. This is kind of the direction we're taking." And, uh, and it's it's kind of like the boiled frog thing too, because there's a lot of conservatives out there. Um, not to constantly bag on conservatives, there's a lot of good conservatives who say a lot of great things but a lot of it is ultimately just talk but um you know look like i was saying the boil frog scenario um they're they're going to continue to capitulate um look, look at uh the senators that um recently signed on to the gun control push um 10 of them from the republican side um that is probably seen more favorably today than it was 10 years ago and we're going to continue to push in that direction. And, I mean, to me, I don't know about you, but I think a fundamental part of being a man is that you have to have, uh, you have, to have a line um, that you say this far and no further, and I'm willing to die over it. And if you don't have that, I don't think you can consider yourself a man. Um, there, there has to be a point at which you're no longer willing to be um, driven upon and uh, for for a lot of people and, and you know God help them that that's their children um, and we're seeing a fundamental attack on the family right now and we're going to continue to see that attack uh, I keep I hate having to keep reference to Trevor but I talked about that and the reason for that is that uh, the family represents the most basic level hierarchy that there is and that is ultimately the left's goal is to destroy the family. It was the goal for the Soviet Union as well to 
to take over children and re-educate them and pull them away from their parents and everything else. And that's fundamentally what the state's trying to do now. They're trying to indoctrinate them to uh, get them to rebel against their parents and their family and everything else, and it's working. Um, and I, frankly, I'm very surprised we haven't seen a rash of violence around this kind of stuff in regards to families, where it's not crazy kids that are going into these schools and doing terrible things, but instead it's crazy parents. I'm very surprised we haven't seen that yet, but I do think that eventually that kind of stuff will happen. And if it doesn't, I will, like I said, continue to be surprised, but uh, I think that that's where it's going to go. We're going to get to a point where uh, parents and families are not going to take this crap anymore, and it's going to be hard to blame them um, because look at everything that's going on. But I, I don't want to get too Fed posty, but um, the, there is um, definitely that that uh, that sentiment is growing, uh, especially online. Why aren't people doing things? Why isn't anybody standing up to this? Why isn't someone going to these PTA meetings or, or school board meetings, and then look what happened. They did go, and then they had the FBI called on them. So where does it go from here? Well, I hate to say it, but it gets a lot more violent from here is what it gets. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I think you're entirely right, and I think that for sure that we're going to see things get a lot worse you know, there is one thing that the reactionary label is useful for and it is describing how the reaction will be. Um, I think there's going to be a lot of backlash. Um, I don't know if it's going to be as big as, you know, something where it's a triumphant moment of, of revolution or something like that. But I think, you know, things are going to get a lot worse before they get better kind of situation is, is where we're kind of going. Um, I could be wrong, you know, it, I think I take Jeff Dice's approach a lot of the time of where th there are two paths before us at all times, and there's the path that is is favorable and, and can lead to better things. It may not be, you know, utopia immediately, but it's at least a step in the right direction kind of path. Or uh, there's the path that things get worse. Um, yeah. And he, he referred to this in regards to secession. But I think this is true for most political issues uh, and, and then, you know, the political situation just in general. Um, I, 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 I love Jeff. Hey, he's, a, he's, a, he's a brilliant man. And it's a shame that so many times people see him as an avenue of attack. He's been attacked several times over the past couple of years, and it's totally unearned because um, I'm a lot more uh, uh, radical in my approach. Not may maybe necessarily more radical in my ideas, but more radical in my approach, and I don't get half the hate he does, mostly, I think, because he has just more exposure. Um, and I think more people would be uh, very much better off if they would listen to Jeff. Um, especially in libertarian circles, just go read the guy at Mises.org. He, he's a brilliant writer and a very good thinker in his own right. Yeah, I I definitely agree with that, and I have that same resounding endorsement of Jeff. Um, you know, if you don't read Jeff's stuff, if you don't follow him on Twitter, if you don't um, at least also acknowledge just 
how instrumental he is to just the regular operations of Mises, not even just the con- writing contributions and ideas he gives to it, but just in making sure that this in- important institution exists, you know, you got to do that. Yeah. Um, yeah. But something I wanted to mention also on the reaction thing is, um, you know, I, I realized it when you said it about PTA meetings and, and school board meetings and, and council meetings and stuff like that. Because I remember something I don't see a lot of people talk about is that I think we've already started to see this because if you remember, I think it was a year ago or more, there was a shooting at a, a council meeting by an upset parent. And I think it was, I can't remember what the particular issue was that was related but I, I do remember this this happening. I can't remember the details now, unfortunately. But yeah, I, I, I mean, I can only see that happening more. I can only see it as, you know, because the parents you mentioned, I remember uh, they didn't get violent. They didn't bring guns or anything. But yeah. yet they had this strong reaction to them. Well, for every reaction, there is, you know, another mm-hmm. reaction. It's just right. going to keep building and building. So I... I, I I totally agree with that. And I think, you know, I, I kind of want to call some a few people out, maybe not by name, but I think a lot of times people will take the easier path on things just because they think, you know, well, uh, if you don't like all this stuff going on in public schools, well, then just homeschool your kids. That's just the easy reaction, right? The easy reaction is to just... You know, okay, well, do whatever you want, and I'll be a homeschool over here. What do you think's going to happen to you? You're going to retreat to homeschool, and then they're going to come after you there. They're going to try and ban homeschool. And then where are you? You're in such a defensive position that you can't escape. That's what will happen. It will happen. And maybe that's some people's line. Maybe that's some people's line in the sand, and they say, okay, well, I'm going to go to homeschool, and then if they come for me at home, you know, they try and abolish homeschool, then, you know, I'm going to fight the government or or what have you. Um, You know, more power to you. But I don't think there's anything wrong with saying, as long as the state has the Department of Education, as long as the state is in control of the school boards, as long as the state controls the school system, I don't think there's anything wrong with saying, hey, um, you're not going to teach my kid this shit. And that's the end of it. And if you don't like it, then fight me. You know, I don't think there's anything wrong with taking a stand here. Um, You know, there may be a very good argument for it. I I can't see it myself. But um, if you're not willing to fight back, if you're not willing to, you know, not just take a stand, but run towards the problem, then, you know, as we've just talked about, you're going to find yourself... um, uh, squirreled away in your home and they're going to come for you there um, you can't run from this problem if you continue to try and run from the problem they're going to run after you you cannot care about the state but the state still cares about you and not in a good way yeah I I totally agree I mean I, I, I equally I think find that remark pretty aggravating um, when it is in regards to the general policy. I get it as a personal option, though. I think sure. we should all know that everyone has that option to just, you know, homeschool their kids right then and there. But still, you know, it's it's a good personal option. It's certainly something I would like to do for my future kids. But 
as a societal thing, I mean, that that is not just the answer. And I, and I agree with you. And I think a lot of people want to retreat into the easy, um, you know, retort to these problems and not really deal with them on any intellectual level. And I, I think that it's certainly a, a problem, the libertarian movement, um, the liberty movement, whatever you want to call it, uh, the right in general, uh, have, especially yeah. with... How do we actually get things done and, and, and solve these things? And I think a lot of people just don't want to think about it or seriously take, engage with it. They want to take the easy way out. An easy way out is, is to say, well, I'm not going to engage. I'm going to retreat. Um, and, you know, like I said, there's only so far you can retreat. Uh, that, that as far as the country goes, some people say, well, I'm going to leave the United States. Okay, well, where the hell are you going to go? Uh, I can't name another place on earth that I would really like to live that I have the same rights that I care about here in the United States, even though as limited as they may be in certain aspects, um, I'm not getting arrested for uh, posting inwards in Germany. Um, I'm not getting arrested for owning a gun in um, the UK. Um, I'm not, uh, you know, being blasted for, for protesting in Venezuela. Um, you know, th these are things you have to consider. And, and for me, there's nowhere left to retreat. This is it. This is the last stand. And if you're not willing to, to, to stand up with your, your fellow human beings and say, you know, this far and no further, and not only that, but we're going to push you back in the other direction, um, you're kind of worthless. Like, what are you doing? You're kind of worthless. And it, not, not only worthless, you're hurting us. Because you're bringing people to this, uh, this belief that they can just withdraw and not engage with these problems, and you're, you're undermining our ability to fight back. So if you're going to retreat, if you're going to do nothing, do everyone a favor and shut up. Well, that's my opinion. I mean, just shut up. Go away. I, I totally agree with you, and, and I'm very glad you said that because... I think that is very much the case. I think most libertarians are standing in their own way and the way of the rest of us. So I, I agree entirely. Um, I kind of want to wrap up now and I, and I wanted to give you your time as I give all my guests um, the time to promote your stuff. Anything my audience absolutely needs to see um, that you're working on or even just things in general that you think my audience need to read, see, whatever it may be? So uh, typically I always say, you know, visit the site hoppian.org, H-O-P-P-E-A-N.org. Um, check out our social media. Um, we're on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Uh, on Twitter you can find us at the Hoppian. Uh, on Facebook I think it's the same thing and the same with Instagram. Uh, check us out there. We're we try and constantly post. We have a very excellent social media manager she does a fantastic job uh we if you see us at events our business development guy uh taylor he he does a fantastic job he's a very very um personable human being um he's not as abrasive as me which is why i, I don't do those types of things because i uh i'll probably tell you to go f yourself um <laughs> if we disagree um whereas taylor will take the time and explain to you things um He's a, he's a great ambassador of the website and a great ambassador of the ideas. Um, so check him out too. And uh, you can find me on Twitter at enddemocracy, E-N-D-D-E-M, 
O-C-R-A-C-Y. Um, if you're new to Hapa, uh, check out two books. Uh, um, if you're on the right, check out uh, Getting Libertarianism Right and uh, Democracy, the Guy That Failed. If you're a libertarian, check out uh, A Short History of Man and check out Democracy, the Guy That Failed. Uh, I think all three of those books are very fundamental to understanding Hoppe. Uh, A Short History of Man is very underrated, extremely underrated. That It is a short book, but there are so many fundamental ideas in that book that will really, if you have a good understanding of general philosophy, will wake you the hell up and will shock the hell out of you as soon as you understand what I was trying to convey there. There's a lot of really good condensed information in that book. And um, generally, um, if you're a libertarian, I will say this, you're right wing. And if you don't understand that, then you don't understand libertarianism. Uh, if you're right wing, libertarians are your friends. And they're probably truly, the true libertarians are more right wing than you are. Um, it is a fundamental characteristic of libertarianism for it to be right wing. It is a fundamental uh, characteristic of the right to trend towards liberty. Um, it, it is, uh, these things are intrinsically linked. Check out my article, uh, or not my article, but my first chapter of my book, um, which will be released probably never. It's called The Nature of Order. Uh, the first chapter uh, is called Defining the Divide, but you can find it online under the title, What Does It Mean to Be Right Wing? And uh, thank you very much for having me on. Uh, great discussion, and I hope we can do it again soon. Yeah, of course, and I thank you so much for coming on. And uh, thank you, everyone, for listening in.